You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Paul Kappert, who is using Django and Python to create a leaderboard site that tracks games played on a flight simulator. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about the site that we're going to talk about today? Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of background to introduce myself, though. Um, I just graduated from Central Michigan University, um, so I'm just leaving this project, uh, although I'm still helping out because uh, I was the only person working on the site in question, so i got to help other people understand what's going on. Um, I'm currently a .NET developer. Uh at uh, Domino's, um, so but I still do Django for side projects because it's such a great framework for working it. So a little background: um, last September, um, Central got a new um, computer science uh, professor from uh, Reno, Nevada, and he he brought with him three flight simulators um, that he just owned uh, just for fun. That but that was he brought them because he wants to use them for research. Uh, so he approached he approached a bunch of different students. Um, I was the president of the computer science club, so I was one of the first students he approached and asked me if he wanted to join this project. And I said, well, my primary interest is in web development. And so he said, okay, great. Um, I've actually had an idea that we could set up um, like an API for this flight simulators if you want to show them off, at, like bring them to museums or something, have like students come in and use them. Uh, have a website that you can display the data on and like students can carry around like a little tracker they can use to sign in um, and we have a uh, uh, he's very close with um, the director of the Fleischmann Planetarium back in Nevada so we uh, that's where we could do our demos and so this year uh, this past year I've been building that up with Django it has a leaderboard it has um, an API that communicates with the simulator, which is running a uh, Unity game, um, although we haven't actually been able to run the simulator yet because uh, uh, unfortunately this year uh, we got cut short about halfway through the semester in March, and we were we plagued by many technical problems. So I wasn't just working on the website. I was helping out with um, uh, some of the other technical issues with the simulators. Very cool. Yeah, when you just said like the professor strolled in there with a couple of simulators, like a, you know, I was thinking in my mind like, are they just sitting there in a briefcase, like joking around? But yeah, I imagine these are full blown like large things like forklifts and all that stuff. Yeah, I will send you some pictures right after this. They are enormous. Each one is about the size of a Prius, <laughs> and there are three of them. So you mentioned that you started working on this, you know, over last semester. Uh, has it ever been up and running in production yet? Because you mentioned that the simulators didn't work. Yeah. So we ran the Unity game. We did a demo at the Fleischmann Planetarium for a group of students. Um, we just had the game running on some computers with some joysticks. And then we had the um, API and the website running um, on Heroku. So I guess you could, uh, if you stress the definition of production, you could call that production. Right. Well, it's live on the internet, so it's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, I guess it still is live on the internet because Heroku has the free tier. Very cool. So what motivated you to use Django and Python in the end? Uh, yeah, so before I started on this project in September, um, I didn't have that much web development experience. I had just done a little ASP.NET in school, and then over the summer, uh, Java and um, Spring Boot. Um, so I knew I didn't want to use that <laughs> for, 
for a personal for a small project like that starting from scratch and so i wanted to look for things that were usable i came across a couple different ideas um node.js and ruby on rails were things people said oh they're super easy to get started but i was really attracted to python um so that means either flask or django and django was the easiest to seem to start because it's the batteries included framework it has the uh fantastic orm uh, migrations template um template rendering on the server which is just built in really not that hard to use and um i think with like all technology is great but the one i prefer to use is the one with the best tutorials and uh i learned it basically over a weekend from uh, watching Corey schaefer on youtube um uh, I got up to speed really quickly that way. Um, his tutorials are great in all kinds of Python, different Python things. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And also, I like how you were just like, well, you know, we use Spring Boot. And then it's like, well, you know, now I know not to use that one. Yeah, it's a good framework, um, but more for, for enterprise because it has a lot of things you can change. And uh, Django has some, I, I probably wouldn't use Django for enterprise because the ORM, um, can has some problems at scale. It's not asynchronous, uh, but those things make it nice for starting a new project. Right. So when it comes to your application, are you using any special features of Django, like the Django admin or maybe some Django apps? Uh, yeah, I've got it split into different apps. It's all running as one instance. We haven't even uh, scaled it up, although I've done a lot of uh, research into what we would need to do to scale it up on Heroku. Um, we could run multiple instances, but it is a monolith, I guess you could call it, although it's probably too small of an application to really be considered a monolith. Right. So what are we looking at in terms of lines of code here, maybe? A few thousand lines of code. I would say it's um, just been me. I started it last September, and I've just about been the only person working on it. Um, some of the other, some other students helped me out with uh, CSS and um styling of different things because i'm just not not so good at that um if you've taken a look at the site it's not super pretty but it's functional yeah in a weird way it kind of reminded me of like an old GeoCities site from back in the day and i don't mean that as like super insulting it just had that vibe to it which is kind of cool actually but it sounds like that wasn't intentional but good to know yeah so maybe just to get an idea of like how this app works and interacts with that flight simulator do you just want to walk us through like like how does your app get data from that yeah, so the flight simulator, um, when it's eventually working, uh, is gonna have it's gonna be able to run Unity games, um, and I can tell you a little bit more about how flight simulator works. But uh, the Unity game runs on a game server, which is connected to the flight simulator um, uh, through a uh, through the network. It sends UDP packets to a motion controller, and then the game computer is actually on the internet, so it's on two different networks, um, and it can send HTTP to the um, uh, server, uh, to Django, which is running on Heroku. It, how it can, um, understands who is who is everyone who joins um, the website gets a uh, QR token. So if you actually try it there, you can sign up for an account and go to your profile page. You'll see a little uh, QR image. And then if, some, if an administrator sets up an account for you, they could set up an account actually for a bunch of different people. And uh, that's something I figured out how to do in Python is turn uh, those QR tokens, which is like 24 characters long, um, into an actual image and then put it on a PDF and then send that PDF as a PDF response. Um, in Django, there's a built-in PDF response. Um, that was one of the trickier things because uh, I couldn't find an example of someone else having done that. 
And so, yeah, someone can, uh, an administrator can print out a bunch of QR codes, and those QR codes create accounts. People can take that to the simulator where we uh, just have a little Bluetooth uh, handheld uh, scanner that can scan barcodes or QR codes, and that's how you identify yourself, and then that gets sent in the API call to, across the internet. Wow, that's a very cool design. Definitely didn't anticipate that, but I love it. Like, it's just so easy. You walk up to it, scan it, and it's boom, you're in. We, we pretty much actually have all the controls are QR, so a lot of the, i got to get a lot of credits to the people uh, that worked on the Unity side. There's uh, like a start game, stop game, add like one player, two players, literally all you scan it um, because the it's a little harder. <laughs> There's actually no computer on the outside of the simulator. Right. So going back to the Python side of things, you mentioned you use some QR code library. Do you know what library that was? Yeah, just QR code in PyPI package. And then there's also a pillow for being able to turn that into an image, base64 encoding images. Um, and then there's another um, library for creating PDFs. And then that, that library can handle pillow images, uh, adding them to a PDF. And also it can add text. So under each QR code that you print out, um, there's like a little bit of text for that person. Nice. Since we're digging around in your requirements, that text file, do you see any other libraries in there that are interesting to talk about that helped you build this project? Yeah, uh, one of my favorite libraries um, is Channels, uh, Django Channels. Are you familiar? Not, not so much. Give us uh, the TLDR. Yeah, so as I was saying at the beginning, Django is um, synchronous and um, it doesn't take advantage of any async. And Channels is a library that allows you to do asynchronous stuff. Um, including um, the channels layer, which is an event broker um, that you can use. And it also lets you set up WebSockets. So that's um, basically just a TCP connection. You can write data back and forth from the server to a browser. Um, so channels uh, allows me to, when someone submits a new score, um, it triggers an event, which gets sent to the event broker and then sends back to every person that subscribed to that event, which would be anyone that goes to the site's homepage, um, which has live results. So it'll send that new score um, to each of those uh, op open WebSockets, which will then send it to the browser, which just has a little bit of JavaScript to interpret it and then add it to the live uh, score. So the, like the most basic uh, kind of um, live data you could imagine um, just a tiny bit of vanilla JavaScript, uh, no frameworks involved or anything, because I'm not, <laughs> that's not really my strong suit. Right. Very cool, though. Yeah, it sounds like that leaderboard idea is like the perfect use case for such a thing, right? You can imagine being in a room with the actual simulator, and then maybe some people are watching, and there's a leaderboard that's sitting somewhere on a computer or a monitor somewhere. Yeah, it was a lot of work for a small feature like that, but I think there is an expectation, you know, these days with how good web apps are that you don't want to have to constantly refresh uh, pages to see if there's some kind of update. You want to be informed of that update. And I was, yeah, imagining the use case of if you have a simulator, you could have, say, someone could project um, from their laptop, like just the home page of the website, and you could see those scores coming in live. Right. So it sounds like, you know, you probably have some type of API backend on the Django side of things to accept those connections from the Unity game server. Uh, is that how it's set up? Yes. Yeah, I'm using the Django REST framework, um, which is really fantastic. Uh, it simplifies the whole process. Um, so Django has uh, models, which it uses for the ORM and the Django REST framework. 
uh, makes it super easy to set up serializers uh, to turn those models into JSON that can be sent over the web. Um, and so I've got just a couple of different endpoints, um, just one for creating new game results, and then another for getting the hot top score so the game can display the high, the high scores all time for a game. When you're actually sitting in the simulator, you can, you can see that information as just as well as the people who have only played in that particular simulator. Okay, so you maybe just want to like rattle off a couple of models that you might have in this app? Uh, yeah, so just a game result model, which is one of the main models I'm using. There's pilot and co-pilot since the simulator is a two-seater. Um, the simulator itself, which is just an ID, um, and then it has a bunch of data about um, each time you play. So the start time, the end time, the score, and then um, we're considering adding a couple other fields that they're not used, like number of times you roll over. Um, I don't think we ever, we never got around to implementing that because um, the game would have to calculate how many times you flipped over. Right. Now, when you say flip over, I mean, is that, could that be generalized to like a high score of failures, like every time you crashed or anything bad happened? Oh, no. I mean, like you, how many times you completely roll in the simulator because uh, it is um, actually quite an achievement to do a bunch of those because uh, uh, Dr. Rade tells me that people usually only last in there about five minutes because they get so it's so much motion um, and the thing can flip all the way around. Oh, okay. Yeah. So physically, like literally doing like a barrel roll. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think that would make me uh, get sick pretty fast. Although I don't throw up, but man, that would make me so dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you actually ever tried it before? I know you said you kind of didn't get it up and running, but maybe somehow just like isolated with your professor or something like that in a different setup. Unfortunately, no, we've had the culmination of technical problems, um, logistics and bureaucracy, like the university telling us we have to do cert get certain approvals before we can set it up. So unfortunately, I've never actually ridden in the simulator. Um, I did get to drive the forklift around to to move it in the warehouse. Um, That's almost as cool. Yeah, almost as cool. <laughs> um, and uh, currently, that we don't have a great solution for the simulator because the motion computer is running, um, I believe, a pre-Windows XP build of Windows, um, no longer supported in any way. Um, so it'll still work, but it's crash-tastic, um, which is not what you want for something that's moving around a half a ton piece of machinery. Yeah, for sure. And so we're, that was one project some of the other students were working on. There were about five of us over the course of this year um, working on it. So some other students were actually trying to uh, re, re, completely redo the motion computer with an Arduino. Um, he was doing some really impressive stuff. Unfortunately, he graduated. <laughs> that's the thing with these academic projects is people constantly graduating, like I graduated, and uh, someone will have to pick it up from there. Right. That's actually maybe something we can transition to, like even, you know, having another developer pick up your code. Uh, did you write all sorts of tests for this or no? Yeah, I tried to keep up with the tests. Um, Django is pretty uh, cool with tests. Um, they've got their own testing framework set up, so you can, uh, there's already a command to run tests for each project that goes in the tests.py, and when you run the tests, it will actually spin up an in-memory instance of SQLite um, with a completely new database and all the migrations. Um, so if you want to do like a full application test to test all the functionality of your endpoints, uh, you can actually do that with a fresh data set every single time you run the tests. 
Right. Yeah, that is uh, an essential thing to do. Now, maybe we can go into like the rest of your tech stack because it sounds like maybe you're not using something like Postgres on the back end, at least not in development. Oh, no. It's, yeah, it's Postgres. Uh, well, it's Postgres on the back end in Heroku, and we can talk about Heroku in a minute. Uh, but the local development is just SQLite. And I've actually, it's not too hard to do Postgres locally uh, by just running a, a Docker image of Postgres because I already run a Docker image of Redis as the event broker. Um, for local development, um, which you don't actually have to do. It's just pretty easy. Um, it's a one one command if you have Docker. Right. So did you spend some time looking into Docker a bit then? Um, yeah, I spent a, a little bit of time learning about Docker, but uh, and there's a lot of depth to it, but it's uh, just like I was as I was learning doing the channel's tutorial, there's just one command after you install Docker. So <laughs> I haven't actually looked into Docker too much. Um, it does make development a lot uh, easier. I have. I guess I've been actually learning more about Docker as I've um, in my new development job. Um, nice. So going back to mentioning how you have Redis there running in a Docker container for the channel like event backend. Do you also use Redis for things like maybe a backend for Celery or no? Uh, no, I haven't um, used Celery for anything. Um, there's not really any background tasks that we need to really run. So I haven't gotten into that. Cool. I like how you mentioned background tasks. Like it sounds like you're very much just you know, you watched uh, Corey's videos on YouTube, like this wasn't something you learned at university, right? Like you kind of just learn the stuff as you go and implement things that are cool to you, I guess. Yeah, I think I've learned more from Corey than uh, most of my computer science uh, degree. Um, there's really uh, just these days, and especially with everything going online, I hope people start to realize uh, how much you can learn from YouTube. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's totally like a whole nother podcast episode in itself about university versus like theory versus practical. Yeah, that's an interesting discussion. Yeah. Although if I had never gone to university, there would never no one would ever have, you know, funded these flight simulators. Uh so I'm definitely in favor of universities. Uh if you can go, you you never know when something weird like this this is like these simulators just came out of nowhere. Who would have guessed that that this would have happened and Central Michigan University no less. I like to well, I like to say that University of Michigan um, doesn't ha doesn't have any flight simulators, so who's really the better uh, computer science department? So going back to the Heroku setup, do you maybe want to walk us through like what made you choose Heroku in the end? Did you look at any alternatives? So yeah, Heroku was um, what Corey Schaefer uh, taught in his uh, tutorial series. Uh, I also looked at Linode and DigitalOcean, um, and you could. Uh, you have to get a VM there and uh, start everything mostly from scratch. There's some things that you can get preset up like Docker, but then I'd have to figure out how to build a Docker image, deploy it, um, write the Docker compose.yaml and stuff like that um, to set up Postgres and Redis. Whereas Heroku um, has built-in support for frameworks. So Heroku has built-in support for a lot of frameworks like Node.js, um, Ruby on Rails, and Django. And if you just uh, write what's called a proce file, you just need to do one command, which is to run uh, Django with some kind of web server. In my case, I'm using Daphne because uh, that's um, uh, originally I was using GUnicorn, uh, but Daphne is what you need to be able to do the channel stuff, the asynchronous event broker stuff. So there's just one command to run it, and then uh, uh, Heroku will automatically run create an instance of postgres so they have their own 
add-ons, which you can get Postgres. And then later, it was really easy to just add the add-on for uh, Redis. Um, and these are just the free tiers for all of these things. So uh, for almost the entire year, we've been running it free, except when we did our demo, I did get the uh, pay for um, We did pay for it briefly for a cup for like a week or two just to test how things would run when we don't have to worry about it um, shutting down. Right, because that is the one downside of the free tier, right? You have to wait about 30 seconds for it to spin up if there hasn't been traffic for a while? Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's how they keep the cost low for the free tier. Yeah, but pretty cool to see that you're able to have that stack up and running completely for free. Just, you know, I was able to access the site. Listeners were able to uh, hopefully access it too. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, the concept of having Heroku add-ons. Besides the Redis and Postgres add-on, do you have any others? Uh, yeah, I've got... I think one more for emails. Um, it's been a while since I set it up. Yeah, SendGrid. That's what it is. And there are uh, hundreds of uh, Heroku add-ons. Uh, fantastic service. Um, and I, yeah, I could talk a little bit about, about Heroku. Um, although we didn't get into the advanced features, I did do research on them. And I actually did write a paper um, about this uh, I submitted last December um, to the uh, um, computers and their applications uh conference which is supposed to be in san francisco and i was going to go in march unfortunately that was canceled right so that paper was specific to something about heroku uh well it had a lot about heroku in it it was just about this whole um system that we're building so the paper is called um uh yes yeah, scalable cloud native platform for interactive museum exhibits so uh we were kind of pitching this thing that we had designed and we built some of it as a tool for museums since that's probably the place you'd have these simulators running anyways right you can't just uh, drop a simulator off in like a small area that's for sure yeah <laughs> so when it comes to the heroku side of things uh do you have it set up to where you can kind of just go into like the admin back end to take a look at like logs and metrics and alerting and all that stuff yep yeah heroku's got um, great tools on the web and also a cli so i can go and uh, easily look at the logs look at all the requests that are coming in. I uh, used that a lot for when we were initially setting up the API and making sure it works with um, the way that Unity tries to connect to the internet. Uh, and then also just running commands uh, is really easy. You can you also do that in the web, like um, running migrations, just a one-line command. Django will migrate everything, create this all the SQL you need, set up the tables in Postgres. Right. So maybe now we can go into maybe your deploy process, right, from the command line. Do you want to walk us through, like, what it's like when you implement a new feature in development and then you get it up and running in production? Like, what's that whole workflow look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, Heroku is really nice. It, it makes it super easy to set up a um, build pipeline, although it's literally just a one-step, uh, mostly one-step build, where it, uh, it looks at uh, GitHub, which is where we have this repository, and it will just uh, check whenever the master branch uh gets a new commit it'll rebuild it that'll even work actually when it's uh, sleeping so that's a nice feature of the free tier is every uh, it'll and it uh, has an unlimited number of uh, new builds so I kind of actually probably abuse that a little bit too much just making small changes initially I just committed everything to master because uh, that's I was the only one working on it later when we got things set up I started committing to a dev branch and then would do pull requests into master even though no one was actually reviewing my code <laughs> i was the only reviewer 
but it was just good discipline to keep things separated. Yeah, that's a very good idea. And you kind of say like you abuse those like unlimited builds, but what you were doing is, is so good. Like it's so great to be able to deploy very, very small changes because, you know, when you roll up a massive change with like, you know, 30 different commits, like there's a bigger chance that something can definitely go wrong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe speaking about like your test process and deploy process a bit more, do you also have like a like a CI service hooked up on GitHub to run some tests before things actually get sent over to Heroku? Uh, no, we never got around to that since it was a small project. Um, looked into doing like uh, GitHub Actions, which I think just came out a couple months ago. So that was on the radar, but never really got around to setting up any automated tests or anything. Right. Now, earlier you did mention also uh, database migrations. Do you have that as a part of like your build pipeline to happen automatically, or do you just go and run those manually when you have to? I just run those manually uh, when I need to, uh, since it is just a one line. Um, Python manage.py migrate. Of course, I probably should have because I for would forget to do that a uh, fair amount of the time. Right. Now, what about dealing with maybe secrets like API keys and email credentials? Do you have that stored somewhere outside of GitHub? Uh, yep, definitely don't have that on GitHub um, because I've heard, I don't know how true this is, I've heard that people will literally write web scrapers and just look through public repositories and just pick up things that are like marked secret key. Uh, so I've got uh, all the secrets like the API key for the email and then the uh, Django secret key in the environment variables. Nice. Yeah, I think there was a site going around on Hacker News like years ago where someone posted a list of that, like just all sorts of repos that had bad things in it. Yep. So speaking of secrets and deployment process, uh, I'm pretty sure you mentioned that your app was open source, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So what was your decision on just open sourcing that? Did you just want to share it or it was just easier to get it up there? Well, it's, it's academia, so there's uh, just really no need to keep it secret. Um, initially, we thought, oh, well, maybe someone would could use that. It would be less secure. But we just decided to make it open source. Just, just think it would be easier that way. And also for going to conferences and stuff, we could be like, oh, you want to know about that thing? Just look at the source code. Right. So do you think next year, if things go back to normal, do you, will you see yourself like committing back to this project even though you graduated or no? Yeah, I think I'll probably um, help out a little bit more in the future, um, especially since I wasn't always super good about documenting things. Um, and I tried to you know, figure some stuff out for the very first time, so it's a little spaghetti code. So yeah, to help get, get things back up and running, I, I probably will um, help a bit more in the future. I'm totally happy to because uh, it's a really cool project. Yeah, so maybe swinging back to the website itself, we didn't really go over this. You mentioned you are using Django REST framework for the API for uh, the Unity game server for to talk to that. But how do you have the front end for the website set up? Is that like Django templates or is that also API based with something else? It's all just uh, server rendered uh, Django templates. It's a pretty simple static website um, with the exception being just the one uh, live results page. So um, using like a front end framework like React probably would have been overkill. Right. Now, I guess going back to the WebSocket component, does Heroku handle all of that nicely for you? Like it has no problem serving WebSockets and it does all of your, you know, SSL as well? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, pretty, yeah, it handles that just fine. Um, it can run the Daphne web server and uh, you can't rely on the state of the running of the instance of Django running, but that's why there's the message broker that can handle, um, you can send the stuff to Redis and then Redis will send it to anyone who happens to be listening. Okay. And just for clarity on that channel feature, 
Is it more like you can listen to events and broadcast them, but broadcasting over a website or channel is optional? That's just like one thing you could do, but you can technically, you know, not do that and still benefit from the channels library? Yeah, so yeah, channels, um, that's just one feature of channels is WebSockets. Uh, it also gives you access to asynchronous consumers. So you could just use channels uh, to create views um, that are asynchronous. So you could create an HTTP consumer instead of a WebSocket consumer. Um, and that way, if you, need, if you need a lot of throughput for some particular endpoint, you could switch over. Because um, channels let you do the regular synchronous Django views with their asynchronous consumers. And unfortunately, that's not super useful right now because the Django ORM is uh, synchronous. Um, and yeah, the whole we could get into the whole different uh, difference between synchronous and asynchronous. But I kind of thought of this metaphor that I used to describe it, which is like async and sync are like water and, and oil. Like they just don't mix together um, super easily. Right. Because if you have just one synchronous thing thrown into the mix, that's going to throw off like the whole benefit of going async, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so maybe switching gears a little bit now, do you want to talk about how you dealt with like disaster recovery and unexpected events? Like maybe you didn't even get to this point, but does Heroku give you easy ways to back up your database and, and things like that? Yeah, um, that is one thing about have, nice about having a managed database is um, it's not on the free tier, but the paid tier, you do get like periodic backups of your database, but never really looked into that too much because we didn't really have super important data. To, to safeguard so right now i could have sworn when i loaded the site up before i was able to see like user avatars like a little picture of someone's face is that something they upload directly or is that being pulled in from like gravatar or some other service let's see we didn't really do much with avatars um or really actually using any um images um the qr code um is actually not an image file but it uh when it renders the template it I, like I said, I use Pillow, which is Python library, to create the image, base64 encode it, and then actually put it directly in the template. Um, that way, if you change the QR code, it immediately changes in the website. Um, and then if you do you look at like the leaderboard, there are badges. Those are just um, images actually just in a GitHub repository. Um, uh, I looked into setting up like... Um, Amazon S3 for storing images, and that way you could have like people could upload a um, avatar for their account and um, then it would have somewhere you could save it. But I didn't really want to get the project that complex for a feature we don't really need that much. Right. Okay. So I'm not going too crazy. There definitely was a picture there, but it was just the badge. It wasn't like a user uploaded avatar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the badges we have to manually put in that GitHub repository. Um, and that's another thing we're probably abusing GitHub a little bit, but hey, I mean, Microsoft, you know, owns GitHub now. They're just giving away all these services for free so why not right i think as long as you're not uploading like massive binaries right like you know like a hundred meg file you're in good shape with like you know an 8k kilobyte badge or something exactly yeah so what would you say some of your best tips and lessons learned are from building this app i would just say don't worry too much about like needing to like know everything you can just start uh doing things you know if you want to do something uh like if you learn the basics of like a framework like django on youtube and then just start messing around with it, seeing how you can break it. It took a long time to figure out how to do, uh, like I said, initially that um, where it creates a PDF with all of those QR codes printed out so someone could actually put it in a printer and cut it out with scissors and give it to people. It, um, it just took a lot of messing around. Um, it wasn't like really elegant. Like, 
like you might imagine like i had to like design the whole thing out and really thought it i just kept looking through pypi packages until i found something uh, and that's another thing don't try to reinvent the wheel too much um, as much fun as that can be uh, <laughs> look for libraries that do stuff that would be another tip i have okay yeah no that's really great great advice right just mess around and break things i mean that is totally the way to learn if you just sit there reading 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 and reading and never doing then you just end up never coding and never learning. Yeah. So on the flip side to maybe best tips and lessons learned, do you recall making any mistakes in this code base or deploy process that you kind of just figured out over time from uh, previous experience? Like basically, you know, in your mind, if you you wrote some code one way and you're like, you know what, you know, maybe this could be implemented better. And then like next week, you just made the change to make it better. I think it was similar to my suggestion is when I was creating the leaderboard, I just kept uh, messing around with that a lot and like redoing it because I just didn't like the way I had done it. I think the the my mistake there is I tried to set up that leaderboard where it like shows it's a kind of a complex query because you have individual game results for users and then you have to aggregate them for each user. Um, and I'm not doing any SQL for this. It's all the Django ORM. So I eventually solved it by actually going to the uh, Django documentation um, and realizing like, oh, I can just read this through now that I have the basics. Um, and that's the great thing about Django I've learned is that the documentation is really good. So my mistake was trying to do stuff from scratch, like I was saying before, uh, being afraid to look into the documentation, because that can that can really save you some time, even though if you're reading through some stuff that might not be useful now, um, at least being aware of it, giving it a look over, uh, is really helpful. I don't know. Did that come out coherently? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And definitely, that's also great advice, right? It's like sometimes the hardest thing is like the unknown unknowns. It's like you have to know that it exists to even be able to look it up. That would be my advice. I just could distill it to one soundbite. Uh, read the documentation all the way through, even the stuff you don't think you need. Don't try to cherry pick it. AKA RTFM, <laughs> if you know that acronym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, thanks so much for coming on the Running in Production podcast. It was really great having you on. Yep. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yep. So before we wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that? Yeah, you can check out my uh, GitHub profile. Uh, if you want to learn more about Django channels, I'm going to be doing a demo, actually, uh, for the Michigan Python group. And then I'm going to put that tutorial as a GitHub, GitHub thing because channels is just uh, such a fun repository. So my... Profile is just github.com slash Paul Cool. And on that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running In Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.